I know he did. I can feel it. I can feel him right now doing the work, whether he's comforting you in one way or another, or healing you, bringing about something. The Lord is changing. The Lord is changing some hearts today. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, we just give you praise. Welcome, everyone. Good to see you all. We welcome our visitors, our guests. Let's give them a round of applause this morning. We appreciate you. We thank you for coming. Just a couple other familiar faces we haven't seen in a while. It's good to see you guys, too. This morning, we're going to continue in the Beatitudes. Because this is an attitude you're going to need to develop. If we're to bring heaven here on earth, this is what you need to have. And this is what Jesus is telling the people. He's telling the multitudes, this is what heaven's going to be like. This is what you need to get to. We started off with, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does that mean? It means if you don't have a pure heart, you're not seeing God. I mean, sometimes you have to look at what the other side of this is saying. Last week we did blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are mourned, for they shall be comforted. Today, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Amen. Blessed, we went over what blessed means and meant to be happy. What Paul says in Philippians is I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. In other words, whatever I have, I'm happy, I'm content. Because God is with me. Amen. Thank you, Lord. He said, I've learned the secret of living in every situation. This is something a lot of us struggle with. Because situations come up, and the next thing you know, you're on the phone, you're texting, help me, help me. What do I do? What you do is get down on your knees. Amen. And you call upon the name of the Lord. He said he knows how to live in every situation, whether his stomach is full or whether it's empty, whether he has a lot or whether he has a little. There's times in our lives when we have a little. If you look at material things, why do we chase after those? You're not going to have them when you die. You need to chase after spiritual things. You need to be content with what God has given you. Amen. And as you grow in God, you will see God increase what you have. Because he's just waiting on you. Amen. He says in verse 13, Paul says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Everything comes from God. 
Being blessed means that you're approved. You're approved by God. He called upon each and every one of you. He picked you out. Like Rose talked this morning about going after the one sheep that was lost. One is very important. One is very important. And you need to look at yourselves as one who knows what you yourself can say or touch someone. When Jesus spoke to that woman in the well, at the well, and he told her, oh, you've had several husbands and one you're living with is not married. He wasn't condemning her. But he spoke to one woman who brought salvation and Jesus Christ to a whole village. Amen. Just one person. Amen. You have that power. You are the one. Yes. Being happy, being blessed is also to receive God's favor. Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How many of us can really say that? I know we've said it on occasion. I know we've thought about it. But is that really the way we live? So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is humility. It is not weakness. People think that being meek means you're weak, coward. Jesus was meek. He didn't cower. He stood right up to the people. He told them exactly, you're sinning. You're not right. You're not doing the right thing. When the money changers were selling off offerings and animals too cheap just to try to please the world. Jesus turned over their tables and told them to get out of here. And, and one time, he did this a couple times, one time he took a whip to them. He took a whip to them. When we were at camp meeting this week, our general overseer, said one thing, stand. Stand up for what the gospel is. Stand up for believing in Christ. Stand up for biblical values. And he told the pastors, he said, if you get trouble from these woke groups, you stand up for Christ, I've got your back. He doesn't want us to compromise at all. He wants us to stand up and you need to stand up. Stand up for what you believe. Meekness means that, you know, we're kind of got to depend on God for what we need and not ourselves. Psalm 37, verse 11 says, The lowly will possess the land and live in peace. Prosperity. That's out of the New Living. The message translation, no. The message paraphrase, I like to call it, puts it this way. Before you know it, 
The wicked will have it, will have had it. They're done. You'll stare at this once famous place and see nothing. The down-to-earth people will move in and take over, relishing in a huge bonanza. What is he trying to say? These people, the rich, the famous, those that chase after the ways of the world, they're going to be gone. I mean, you understand that, right? They're not going to be here. The only people that are going to be here are those that fit into the qualifications of Christ, those that go in the rapture. And he said, you're going to come back into these places and you're going to have it all. Meekness is submitting to God's word. Sometimes a tough thing to do. We like it when it fits what we're going to do. But we don't really like it when it doesn't. <laughs> it says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's what's going to save your soul. Wicked is not. Money is not. Having a nice car is not going to save your soul. It may look nice going down the highway, but it's not saving your soul. Matthew says in 7.24, Therefore, whoever bears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And you all remember the story of those that built the house on the rock and built built their house in the sand. Another thing that comes with meekness is submitting to God's will. Matthew 26, verse 39. And he went a little further up and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you. It lets you know that Jesus really didn't want to go up on the cross. Oh Lord, let this cup pass from me if you can. But if this is your will, I'll do it. And sometimes God has instructed every single one of you in this room to do something and you didn't do it. But other times he's instructed you to do something and you've done it. Amen. You've humbled yourself, you've put yourself in this situation and you've done exactly what God has asked you to do and he's probably rewarded you if you look at it that way. We have to submit to God's people. Amen. Ephesians 5 tells us submitting to one another in the fear of God. Amen. What does that mean? That means fellowshipping with one another, submitting, mm -hmm. not trying to be all puffed up, Amen. but submit. Amen. Just say, hey, we're brothers, we're sisters in Christ. Let's get along. Let's have a great time. Amen. Let's enjoy the presence of the Lord. 
You saw what happened this morning. We were all in one accord. Amen. That's what the upper room was like. Amen. What happened here this morning. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Going back to Psalm 37, verse 7 through 11. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Tough thing to do because we all want what we want and we want it now. But this says, wait for the presence of the Lord. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. What he's really saying is don't be jealous and envious of somebody. Somebody who lives a sinful life may be driving a Rolls Royce, living in a million dollar mansion, have more money coming out of him than you could ever believe. But God said, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Stop being angry about that. Stop letting your rage because you don't have it. Don't lose your temper It only leads to harm. He says in verse 9, the wicked will be destroyed. But those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. So God's going to give you everything in the end. This is what he's telling you. He said soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly will possess the land live in peace and prosperity. Patient. Wait on the Lord. Then comes blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. I think there were people in here this morning hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And I believe they came to the altar and got filled with what God had for them. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know what he's talking about here. You know what he's saying. Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2 says, As a deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Is that what your soul thirsts for? Is it thirsting for the presence of God or is it thirsting for some material thing? Some worldly thing? Because it is, if it is searching and seeking and thirsty for the world, you're classified as the wicked. You may not think you're wicked, but God looks at you as wicked. His terminology is a little different. In Philippians 3.10, it says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Power of his resurrection. We've talked about that before. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, he brought all kinds of power and he gave it to each and every one of you. Amen. Why? Because he chose you. Think about that. There's, what, 8 billion people on the earth? 
And God chose you. God chose you. He said, I love you so much. My son is going to die on the cross for your sin. I'm going to cover you with my blood for all eternity. I'm going to give you a home living with me in heaven. You'll always be with me. I choose you. Hunger becomes a sign of need. Hunger is a sign of life. I mean, we all get hungry. To hunger after righteousness is a sign you're chasing a spiritual life. Nobody who is, was spiritually dead ever did that. Spiritually dead people do not hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. They don't. They chase after other things. But if you hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God, you are alive. You are alive. There's angels out there rejoicing. There's angels in, in this place that are just clapping their hands, Amen. looking at you and saying, praise the Lord for you. When the Spirit of God has changed our nature, that new nature hungers and thirsts for God. This is what our new nature is all about. The old nature never did it, never could do it, never would do it. But our new nature, covered in the blood of Christ, hungers for Him. It's a sign of help to be hungry. Do you know an appetite can be cultivated? You can get hungry for certain things. After you've eaten them for a while, you begin to like them. I know some of the dishes my wife cooks. And some of the soups she makes. Not sure I'll ever be hungry for one of those. <laughs> but I am hungry for the righteousness of God. But you cultivate an appetite for what you grow up with. I grew up eating beef, potatoes, and some green vegetables. And that's it. It was basically meat and potatoes. That was our diet since I was a kid. We raised cattle. I worked in a, my first job when I was 14 was working on a farm that raised black Angus cattle. So, I mean, it was steak and potatoes, or beef and potatoes. Meat and potatoes. Rose went to the market the other day. She calls me on the phone to ask me something. She leaves her phone on. She's talking to the guy on the counter and she said, how much is the big fish head? If it's not too much, I'll take it. Otherwise, I'm taking a little one. It would never be a conversation that comes out of my mouth. I may get hungry for things. You create an appetite. You desire things. 1 Timothy, Paul writes this to Timothy. 
First Timothy 4, he says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Oh, wives' tales, oh, you all know those. The old wives' tale when I grew up was, no matter what illness you had, a spoonful of cod liver oil would treat it. If it wouldn't cure, it would probably cure you everything. Old wives' tales, you gotta sleep on this side of the bed, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. But it says instead of listening to all those and talking about all these godless ideas, because you all know those, you all get in conversations with people and, and they, they're giving you ideas. Let's go do this, let's go do that. You know, and everything that they're bringing up is godless. And you spend hours communicating over godless ideas. Paul tells Timothy instead, Train yourself to be godly because you can train your appetite. You can teach yourself and cultivate what you're going to eat. Amen. He says a regular diet shapes an appetite over time. He tells us to practice fasting from legitimate pleasures. Fast from those things. Get off of those things. In Mark 8, 34, Jesus says, if any of you want to follow me and be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. You have to give up the way you've been living. Follow Jesus. You can't follow Jesus living the way you used to live. And it takes time because we, we say we've given up our old ways, but we look outside, we see something, right away it goes to our old nature. We, create, we always battle with this flesh. Yes. But it says you've got to be strong. You've got to stand firm. You've got to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Second Corinthians 5 said, he died for everyone. So that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Amen. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and raised them up. So he says, I died for everybody on the face of the planet. Amen. But only those that follow me and live for me will receive the rewards. In Peter, it says, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. I never really looked at it that way, that he carried our sins inside of them. Every sin that we've ever committed, every sin that we're going to commit, every single sin, he carried on that cross. Every single sin. First, Second Corinthians 5.21 For God made Christ who never sinned to be
be the offering for our sin. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. Amen. He was the offering for our sin. That is just outrageous when you think about the Son of God poured out and died on a cross so I could have a relationship with God that my sinful nature would not let me have. And that if I repented of my sin and truly repented, just saying you're sorry is not repentance. But repentance means turning from that. Giving it up. Never doing it again. We're made right through what Christ did. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be filled. Revelation 7, verse 16 says it this way. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never again be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of the life-giving water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That just touches me so that God's going to wipe away every tear from my eyes. Verse 7, chapter 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now you've got to remember, every single one of you, including me, we're all going to face God one day. Whether we go to the white throne judgment, or the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to stand before him. I always used to make the joke, you're standing before God, and he's got you on a certain spot, and he's got a little lever in his hand. If he doesn't like what you say, he just pulls the lever and down you go. Thank God for Jesus. It's all over now. On your way. Comes another one, devil. Matthew 6, 14 says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Think about that. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? God's Jesus, just as I had mercy on you. I mean, how can you not? God had mercy on us. Jesus poured out his mercy, poured out his blood. How can we withhold mercy from someone else? In James chapter 2, it says, There will be no mercy 
for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Think about that. You're standing before God. He's looking and he goes, oh, oh, I see you were merciful on May 22nd. <laughs> well, at least you did it once. I'm pretty happy there. So he's going to have mercy on you. Yes. Yes. Let's stand before God having loved too much rather than judged too harshly. Now you all know people that are very judgmental. They live in every church from time to time. They judge everything. They think everybody has to live up to their standards. It's not their standards that are important. It's God's. You live for the Lord. You don't live for me. If you commit sin, you didn't commit sin against me. That's right. Amen. You did not sin against me. You sinned against God. I may get mad. I may not like the fact. But you sinned against God. He's the one you need to repent. He's the one you've got to ask for his mercy. Just like that blind man did sitting on the roadside saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. This is what we need to do. Son of David, have mercy on me. So let's stand before God having loved people too much rather than having judged people too harshly. What's your ministry of mercy look like? In Micah chapter 6 it says, no. Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good and that what he requires of you. Do what is right, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. It says God told you what is good. He tells you what he requires you to do. Why don't you do it? think we're more powerful than God? Do we think we're better than God? Have we created our own heaven? So when we die, we've got somewhere nice to go. I don't think so. The Lord has told you what is good. He tells you in his book. They call it the Bible. And he tells you what he requires of you. So do what is right. To love mercy. To walk humbly with your God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from the human point of view. At one time we thought Christ merely from a human point of view. But now we know him differently. When you first heard about Christianity, heard about God, heard about Jesus, you did look at him and judge him like he was human. Our point of view was from a human point of view. But this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Then it goes on and says that all this is a gift of God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task. God has given us the task of reconciling people. That's your job, to bring people back to Christ. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. He gave them this wonderful message of reconciliation. He had mercy on them. C.S. Lewis put it this way, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. We are called to show mercy. We're called to show mercy to those who make mistakes. Now, if there's anyone in this place that has never made a mistake, let him stand now. Let him get up and just kind of float over here. Matthew 12, put it this way. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight nor shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. Amen. Talking about Jesus. Finally, he will cause justice to be righteous, victorious. In James chapter 2, it says, Mercy triumphs over justice, over judgment, excuse me. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And then we have those who let us down. Now, how many of you have had a friend let you down? Especially the ones you called when you were moving and said, I need help. And they said, yes, for sure, I'll be there. What time do you want me? And then they're, oh, my back hurts. Oh, it stubbed my toe. Oh, my car's out of gas. Oh, I'm on the other side of the planet. In Luke 23, it says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And this is what the soldiers were doing as he saw the cross. Some say they were like throwing dice. They were doing something. They were playing some kind of game to see who was victorious and who would get his clothes, who would get his possessions. You know, Jesus was denied, he was betrayed, he was accused, he was rejected, he was abused, and he was humiliated. And some of those things, each and every one of us have, have been through. But God had mercy on us when we went through them. And some of you know friends 
that have been through these and did you pour out your mercy upon them? Were you understanding? Did you say, yes, it's okay, don't worry about it. Take care of it. Have mercy. Quit judging people. You know, they say if you're gonna judge somebody, you gotta first take that plank out of your own eye. Colossians 3.13, verse 12. We'll start there. Colossians 3.12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. This is where we get a little tight sometimes. It's okay for us to have a fault, but they better not. And forgive anyone who offends you. Oh, some people today are so soft-skinned. They offend so easy. I mean, you could tell somebody their shoe's untied, they could offend you. How dare you say that? How do I look in this dress? Well, a little chubby. Oop. Oops. Be careful. God loves you so much and he wants you to love his people. Love your brothers. Love your sisters in Christ. Forgive them. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive those who offend you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. Amen. He didn't sit up there and have it go. This is the 15th time she did that. Uh, well, he counts everything. He knows every hair on your head. They got numbers. Yes, I forgive you. Repent, cover yourself. She was drugged before Christ. And he just pretended to not even pay attention to these Pharisees. Down on his knees, he's writing in the dirt. They're saying, you know, we're supposed to stone her. That's what the law says. Yeah, we're supposed to stone her to death. Okay. I mean, this probably wasn't the first time she'd done it. And Jesus says, okay, you want to stone her, go stone her. But let the one of you that's without sin throw the first stone. Yes, Lord. And then he looks around and there's nobody there. Jesus said, where'd they go? She said, I don't want to live up. He said, well, I don't condemn you. Condemn you? You know, just go and sin no more. Just don't do this anymore. This is not who you are. I didn't die on a cross for you to commit sins. I died on a cross for you to be righteous and live a righteous life with my Father. Unfaithfulness is wrong. Revenge is even worse. 
But the worst part of it all is without forgiveness. Because without forgiveness, all that's left is bitterness. Some people are very good at holding a grudge. They can carry it on. They can fuel it. They put wood on that fire every day. Every time they think about it, they just add more logs on that fire. Just keep it going. Just keep it going. Left with bitterness. It'll chew you up. It'll kill you. It'll destroy you. And then you got to those who are far from God. Jesus connected before he corrected. Think about that. Jesus connected before he corrected. He made, a, he made an impact on a person. He made some kind of connection with them. And then he said, oh, okay, listen. As long as you're my friend now, let me tell you this. You know, Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Along with many other tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Just a bunch of sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come not to call on those who think they are righteous, but to those who know they are sinners. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short to the glory of God. And the next thing we need to do is have mercy on ourselves. Sometimes we get ourselves in a situation uh, that is, and we just keep beating ourselves up over it. My guilt overwhelms me, Psalm 38. It is a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I am bent over and racked up with pain. All day long I walk around filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me and my health is broken. I am exhausted and completely crushed. Sometimes you commit a sin against someone and it eats away at you. This is what bitterness will do. It just starts to get in there and just overwhelms you. You don't need to carry this. This is what the psalmist is saying. My guilt just overwhelms me. It's too much. My groans come from an anguished heart. I am in drowning in the flood of my sin. They are a burden too heavy to bear because I have been foolish. I am utterly worn out and crushed. My heart is troubled. I mean, sometimes disappointment is a gap between expectation and reality. Sometimes you, your sin eats away at you. 
It does. It just eats you. It, it tears you up. You become disappointed. You, and now there's a gap of what you expect and what the reality is. Paul wrote in Timothy, even though I used to be a blasphemy, I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Before we knew Christ, we were ignorant in God's eyes. We did not know this thing. So everything we did was ignorant. It was out of unbelief. Oh, how generous, Paul writes, our gracious Lord was. He filled me with his faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of all. Let's stand. Oh Lord. Oh Lord Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.